Amen. Thank you for confessing that with me. Uh, Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John 14? John 14, we want to look at verses 15 through 24 here together this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us one more time briefly before we uh, listen to the words of our Lord and Savior together. Father God, we do ask that you would receive praise, Father, Son, and Spirit now as we consider such a Trinitarian passage, rich with truth and yet simple enough to be understood. Father, we ask that you would help me to communicate it clearly and that you would help us to believe it and apply it and live it. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. DTR. DTR. Some of you know what that is. A DTR talk. Have a DTR conversation. Define the relationship, right? Maybe some of you have had some of these conversations in, a, in an age of texting. That might be the shortened version of DTR. Define the relationship. So the relationship... People are friends and it's at a critical point and you gotta, you gotta figure out where the other person is at, right? You gotta define things. Where are you at? Where am I at? There has to be some sort of mutual understanding, right? Are, are we just friends? Are you serious? Am I serious, right? Where is this thing going in your mind? What is the commitment level? We need to define the relationship. Jesus' farewell speech in John 14 through 16, in a sense, is a DTR talk, right? The disciples are distraught. Jesus is talking about leaving. They've been with him for for years now. What is that going to mean for their relationship? For him to be absent? Will it be long distance? What, what, What does it mean? Help us understand what about the relationship with the father? What, what about after Jesus leaves? Where is he going? All of these are questions that are swirling in the air. And Jesus is, is seeking to provide expectations. He, he will give expectations, right? When we think about expectations in a relationship, we usually think, don't, don't do that, right? Do that, right? He's going to give some of those expectations. He'll call them to, to love one another. But, but more fundamentally... And more in line with, I think, the tone of his farewell speech is he's setting their expectations for the relationship. So, so promise undergirds comfort. Days before he heads to the cross, here's what the relationship will look like after my departure. Jesus wants his followers to know what to expect, what he expects of them, but, but what is to be expected in their relationship with Jesus. As followers of Jesus today, what, what should be the expectation of the relationship? So what does, we could ask this question, what does a vital two-way relationship with the risen Christ look like? What is the expectation? What is his expectations? What do we do not do? Yes, but, but what, what, what would that entail? 
Jesus having risen and ascended, what does a vital two-way relationship with the risen Christ, what what does it look like? Jesus here is going to define our expectations and in that way define the relationship. I want to try to answer those questions by just making three observations, three statements that I think we'll be able to see very clearly from our text. And the first is this. True followers will love and obey Jesus. True followers will love and obey Christ. Notice four times the emphasis falls on both of those things, love and obey. So hopefully you have your Bibles open. If not, you can just listen. But look down at verse 15 again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the idea of obey. Look down at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Jump down to verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Or down to verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Jesus is talking to his followers and he's talking to them about loving and obeying these are not unrelated things so on friday uh i went to the store i needed to run some errands i was dropping uh, a kid off somewhere and i had three things on my list here's a little window into my week here's the three things that are on my list outlet covers you know the little plastic things that go around an outlet wet cat food very specific had to be the canned stuff and you guys know i don't like cats but we have cats There's a whole thing going on there. And then black stain. All right, those are the three things I needed. Those are unrelated things. That's not what Jesus, he's got a list, right? Love and obey. These are not unrelated. These are very much related. Loving and obeying are related topics. And important for us to understand our passage is how do they relate? So we should just think, okay, his expectations, two check marks. All right, I checked one and soon I'll get to the other. No, both are there. Both are related. And how do they relate? How does loving Jesus and obeying Jesus after he's ascended, when he's absent, how do those things work together? So let's let's spend a little time on love for Jesus, a little time on obeying Jesus, and then we'll talk about the vital relationship between loving and obeying that Jesus wants us to see. This isn't the first time Jesus has talked about love in the Gospel of John, or even in our immediate context. Would you flip back to chapter 13, verse 1? Chapter 13, verse 1. So John here is speaking of Jesus' love, and he writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is, Jesus loved them in his life to the cross, through the cross, through his death, all the way. Jump down to verse 34, still in John 13. John 13, pick up in verse 34. He's going to declare his love for them and also command them to love one another. John 13:34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's new about our passage, what's distinct about our passage is this is the first time in in John's gospel that this aspect, this particular aspect of love has been mentioned. Namely, his disciples' love for him. Our love. So after Jesus' death, after his burial, after his resurrection, after his ascension, Jesus' followers are still to love him. You see kind of the implication there, right? So our relationship is with, with Jesus as his disciples is one that when he's not present, we're not seeing what we can get away with, right? No, true followers relate to him in, in love and obedience. Look back at verse 15. I think this is important for us to see. If you love me, and then three things are controlled by that condition. If you love me, then three things. You will keep, I will ask the Father, and he will give you. So, if you love me, and then the, the rest of verse 15, and all of verse 16, and the first half of verse 17, all are kind of underneath that. Jesus here is comforting his disciples by saying, here's the essentials of a relationship with me after I'm gone. What does a relationship with Jesus Christ look like in 2023? Jesus is giving us an outline, some some essentials we might say. This is what a living, two-way relationship with Jesus looks like every time. So that if you love me in verse 15 is not like a veiled threat. It's simply saying, this is vital. This is not optional aspect of a relationship. Jesus' disciples love him. It's required. He loved us. We love him. It's more fundamental than just a command, though he does command that we love him. That's how... Jesus and his disciples relate. It's one of love. He loved us. We love him. And it doesn't change when Jesus isn't around. Let's zoom in on on the second part. True followers will love and obey Jesus. The word obedience, of course, isn't here. But this idea of keep, right? Notice the language again throughout the passage. Verse 15, keep my commandments. Verse 21, has my commandments and keeps them. Verse 23, keep my word. Verse 24, keep my words. Verse 24, the second half, the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So to have, look back at verse 21. Let's zoom in there just for a minute. To have Jesus' commands isn't simply to possess them like you have them on your lap. You, you own a copy of God's word. You know what they are. But it's to grasp them. It's, it's to have a hold on them. You have your mind around his words. And you keep them. You obey them. So you don't adjust Jesus' commands to your life. So tempting as that is. You adjust your life to Jesus' commands. For all of us, this means following Jesus will change us. Following Jesus will change us. 
Or to put the emphasis a little differently, followers of Jesus will seek to change. They're not change adverse. It's, it's part of the relationship. We will obey him. Obedience requires this. So, so followers of Jesus don't excuse their sin. It's just the way I'm wired. What did you think I would do? If you hadn't, they don't downplay their sin. I think I'm doing quite good, actually. Not nearly as upset or as bad as so-and-so. No, disciples of Christ own their sin, right? Their sinful actions, their sinful thoughts, our sinful desires, and we seek to change, right? From the heart, obedience is the goal. It's what marks a relationship with Christ. So why not start with this, this question as a believer? What would God have me to think or do, and how would he have me to think or do it? So the what and the how, informed by, by Jesus, by his word, by his expectations for the relationship. So now we've kind of zoomed in on loving Christ, and we've zoomed in on obeying Christ. Now we want to try to put those together. How do they relate? Jesus says they are inseparable. Our love for and obedience to Christ aren't optional, and they can't be separated either. It's, it's a both and, not an either or. But then we need to zoom in just a, a, a smidge further, and we see our obedience to Christ makes our love for Christ visible. Love's fruit is obedience. That's what Jesus is saying. So there's a connection here between the two. If you love me, you will obey me. If you obey me, you love me. Whoever has and obeys my commands loves me. Whoever does not love me does not obey me. So, love and obedience cannot be separated. And our love will always show itself in obedience. What does this mean? It means growing in obedience will start with growing in love. Because obedience is, is saying yes, even when it costs you. And only love sustains costly obedience. So how can you cultivate a growing affection for, for Christ? How can you do that in yourself? How can you do that with those around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe children in your home, how can you grow in affection for Christ? I want to give you just three kind of practical suggestions how you can grow in your affection for Christ even this week. First, give your attention to Christ before your cares. And here I think especially in the morning. Your cares are going to rush towards you. Your mind will bring them, your phone will bring them, your calendar, your day, your schedule will bring them. Give your attention to Christ before your cares. So turn your heart towards him before you turn yourself to your day. Second, linger over his affection for you. So how can you grow in your affection for him? We'll do what the gospel of John does, right? Begins by talking about his love for you. So go there and go especially to the cross. Reflect on his love in full demonstration through the cross of Christ. 
We love him because he first loved us. So we grow our love for him by lingering over his love for us. Friends, I've, I've said a version of this before on Sunday morning. I've said a version of this many times talking to some of you one-on-one. But don't seek to reflect on his affection for you through the lens of your circumstances in that moment or in that week. It'll dim his love in your eyes. Rather, consider your circumstances through the lens of his love for you on the cross. It'll allow you to see the things in your life as examples of his love, as mediated and merciful. So first, give your attention to Christ before to your cares. Second, linger over his affection for you. Third, how can we grow our affection for Jesus this week? Leverage the hymns we sing at church. Right, so uh, each week you get a bulletin and there's a little order of service. I would say probably 19 out of 20 of us don't refer to this during the service. It's not wasted. You can refer to this after you leave the building. You can take this with you and you, you can pull it out and you can say, okay, I have some texts right here, some truths right here. I can look up these hymns, listen to them on on Spotify or on YouTube or wherever you want to listen to it. I actually had in my manuscript, listen to good Christian music. And I thought, I think I got to be more specific. There's a lot of things flying under that banner. And we are really intentional with what we sing on Sunday morning. Really kind of picky. And so I want to just encourage you, allow what we sing on Sunday morning to carry into your week. Use the bulletin, use the internet, whatever you got to do to hear it again, reflect on it again, read it again. That will help you experience his love for you and grow in your affection for him. All that we might grow in this basic expectation of Christ for his followers. Don't let Jesus be out of sight, out of mind. Love him and obey him this week. Point number two, point number two. True followers will have Christ secure for them another helper. True followers will have Christ secure for them another helper. This is the part of the expectation of our relationship with the risen Christ. This is such a comfort. We can expect that Jesus is going to secure for us a helper in his absence. That's what he promises here. Jesus continues to outline his expectations, especially after he's gone. Again, the disciples are distraught. They can't even imagine. But here Jesus says two things in particular. Look again at verse 16. I will ask the Father. I'm going I'm to make a request on your behalf to the Father. And then secondly, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So Jesus here is clearly referring to his own ministry as that of one of helping his disciples. Because there's another helper who's going to come. Implication, there's a helper already here. You have help in me. And as I leave, you will have help in another. They felt like their helper was leaving. They felt like their helper was absent. They felt like their helper was distancing himself. 
Jesus is about to depart on the cross, come to them after the resurrection, and then ascend to the Father. He's about to go. We saw this back in chapter 14, verse 2. They thought their helper was leaving, and he says, no, no. This is the expectation. I'm sending another helper. Lean in. Look forward to it. Do you see how good this is? This other helper, this advocate, this comforter. I've been with you for a few years. He will be with you forever. You can't go to a place or outlive. or He, he will be with you forever. You'll never be without this helper. No absence, no separation, no abandonment. Notice that this is the spirit of truth. These are rich Trinitarian truths we have here in this, in this verse, right? So the son is helping his disciples. And then the son asks the father. The father sends the spirit. This other helper, spirit of truth. Isn't that interesting? Of truth. We've seen that already in our passage, haven't we? Do you remember John 14, verse 6? Maybe you float your eyes back to verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Spirit's role is one of communicating truth. And Jesus is the truth. So how does the Holy Spirit help and comfort Jesus' disciples, Christians, when he's gone. He bears witness to the truth, namely Jesus. That's the Spirit's role. So there is an internal, we could say even subjective aspect to the Spirit's ministry in the life of believers, testifying to the truth, testifying to Jesus, confirming him in our hearts. When Jesus is gone, as he still is, The Spirit comforts by bearing witness to the truth. That is the help we need. And that is the help the Spirit of truth offers. Look at verse 17 in the middle there. The world does not know the Spirit of truth. The disciples do more than they know. And they will know the Spirit here soon even more intimately. As the Spirit is sent to indwell them. Spirit will dwell in And not just with Jesus' disciples. Look at the end of verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So in a matter of days, these very disciples would receive the Spirit. Would you go over with me to John 20? John 20, passage that often gets forgotten, a little precursor to Pentecost, the sending of the Spirit to the church. John 20, beginning of verse 19, on the evening of that day, this is right after the resurrection, the first day of the week, the, day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. More broadly, in redemptive history, this is, this is true of the Spirit's work, right? Continues to indwell believers here in the New Testament or New Covenant age. Spirit dwelt in the midst of his people under the Old Covenant. The Spirit was 
with them and active in their lives, yes, but Christ has secured the Spirit's indwelling within his disciples, his people in the church age. We have a helper, brothers and sisters. We have a comforter. We have an advocate. We have the Spirit of truth within. So we are not alone. We're not orphans. We're never without the internal personal presence of God. I don't know where each one of you is at, and I suspect we're all at slightly different places this morning, but you're not walking alone. You're not enduring alone. You're not fighting alone. You're not waiting alone. You're not standing alone. You're not reading the word alone. You're not living alone. The helper is with us and in us forever. And then here is the wonder of our passage. We see this especially in verses 18 through 20. All of this hinges on the resurrection. No resurrection, no Jesus to ask the Father, no asking the Father, no sending of the Spirit. All hinges on the resurrection. So look at verse 18. His coming to them, I think, speaks of his appearance to the disciples, which we just read in chapter 20. Then verse 19 clarifies. He didn't appear to the world, so consistent in the Gospels as well as... uh, 1 Corinthians 15, other passages. He didn't appear to just everyone after his resurrection. He didn't just stroll into town. No, he appeared to his disciples. Hundreds of them. Yet a little while, in verse 19, I would understand to be Thursday to Sunday. Not long. Cross and the resurrection in between. Verse 20, he says, in that day. Again, referring to these resurrection Appearances. All of this hinges on the resurrection. The changing of the ages hinges on the resurrection. The pivotal event between Jesus' ministry as the helper and the Spirit's ministry as the helper is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is how one commentator helpfully pulled this together. He said, He cannot ask the Father, as he promised, for another counselor unless he rises from the dead. So as we move here from our second to our third and final point, look back at verse 20. Jesus' resurrection doesn't just confirm what we considered last Sunday, back in verses 11, 10 and 11, this mutual indwelling, right, of the, the Father and the Son. I am in the Father. But, but look at the end of verse 20. You in me and I in you. Union with Christ, we would call it theologically, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is the groundworks for our final point, the final point that Jesus makes that we're going to observe here. Point number three, true followers will experience the love and presence of the Father and the Son. What should we expect when Jesus is gone? Jesus says, you will still experience my love and the Father's love and my presence and the Father's presence. What a promise. What a comfort. Look down at verse 21, the second half there. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then Judas, and John notes here, it's not Judas Iscariot, this is likely Judas, the son of James, that we read of in other gospel accounts. He then asks, verse 22, 
Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? We already talked about that in reference to his resurrected appearances. Then let's keep reading. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, father and son, will come to him and make our home with him. We are going to come. We are going to make our home with him. That word should jump out to us. And uh, this had to be pointed out to me, and I want to point it out to you. The word home there is the same word we saw back in chapter 14, verse 2. And it was translated mansions or maybe better rooms or dwelling places. Do you see how remarkable this is? Well, Jesus leaves his disciples to go prepare dwelling place simultaneously he with the father is making his dwelling place in us (laughs) so we may at times hear someone talk about asking jesus into their heart and we think yes and we also think ah maybe it's better to say repent and believe and then but but just just know this this is deeply biblical when you are a Christian, the Spirit dwells in. You know who else makes a dwelling place in you? The Father and the Son. So here we're reminded of the most simple truths about the Trinity. Though God does exist in three persons, distinct as they are, and each one is fully God, there is one God, and He is with His people. He is in His people. That's what it means to be a Christian. To have the spirit of truth dwelling in us so that we know and love. So we know his love and his presence. So that we love him and obey him. As Jesus is talking, we're reminded of such precious truths. As believers are indwelt by God the spirit, so also God the father and God the son make their dwelling place within believers. So to be a Christian is to experience this, to experience the love of God. Jesus says, those in a relationship with him will be, verse 21, loved by my father. Verse 21, again, I will love him. That is, Christ will love them. My father will love him, verse 23. So the indwelling presence of God in the lives of believers isn't some sort of creed to be affirmed, some doctrinal statement nuance that we need to sign off on. No, it's a comfort to be experienced. Remember how the the chapter began. Let not your hearts be troubled. The Spirit is with you forever. Jesus doesn't orphan his own, including you, never alone. Another helper within, faithful to guard, faithful to guide you as his disciple. You are loved by the Father, loved by the Son, both taking up residence within you, making his presence known by the Spirit. Of course, this drives us back to our first point. To see the connection. Those who obey, those who love and obey Christ are those who experience the presence of Christ. Experience his love. As followers of Christ today, what should we expect? What will it look like? What are, what's the nature of the relationship? 
What does a, a vital two-way relationship with Jesus look like? Jesus says here, let me DTR, define the relationship for you. You will love and obey me. And I will secure for you another helper, the spirit of truth. And you will experience the love and presence, both the father and the son. Jesus here is talking to his disciples. Those who are following him, trusting him. Let me ask you, has this been your experience as a Christian? If not, why not? Maybe you're not a true follower of Christ. Maybe you're a Christian in name only. These are questions worth considering, aren't they? May you come to him in humble repentance and faith. And may he move in to your heart and begin the renovation process of your life. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you that you sent your son to be the savior of the world. And so, Father, we thank you that there is salvation in no other but in Christ alone. We pray for those here this morning who are playing Christian. They, they know the lingo. They know what they need to affirm and not affirm. But this has not been their experience. Father, I pray that they would, that they would live in light of what Jesus describes here, that they would love you and obey you and they would be enabled to do this by your spirit, this helper who has come and that they would grow in experiencing and knowing your love and your presence in and through them. Father, we pray for those here this morning who might be outside of Christ. We pray that you would drive them to yourself, that you would call them, that you would give them new life, that they might turn and trust in Christ for the first time. Father, we pray for those here this morning who are neglecting, not living in light of, not relying on the Spirit's work in their lives. So often we just sit back, grateful for this promise, grateful for that one. Father, I pray that you'd help us rely on the Spirit to seek to grow in our love and obedience to you. Help us to love you such that that even costly obedience gets a yes. Father God, we ask now as we reflect on these truths and continue to do so even in song together that you would be glorified now. Receive now our worship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jeff.